Welcome, travelers, to this fascinating intellectual journey as we delve into the captivating lives of our scientists and their stories, showcasing a myriad of scientific endeavors and mysteries, the steps along the way, and the significance of their victories. This is Around the World in 80 Discoveries. Born amidst the ancient rainforests in the rugged island of Borneo, Nalissa migrated to New Zealand at a young age before settling in Canada for the remainder of her teenage years. She is an archaeologist who is currently doing a PhD in biological anthropology at the University of Otago. Fascinated by the cultural evolution of our species, she studies the human remains from ancient Asian populations in order to better understand a disease called metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is a cluster of conditions that lead to increased cardiovascular disease and prevalence of type 2 diabetes. There are two joint diseases that co-occur with metabolic syndrome, gout and diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis, also known as DISH. Gout is a consequence of high levels of uric acid in the blood, which can be a result of diet and lifestyle factors, as well as a genetic predisposition. It is historically known as the disease of kings, or rich man's disease, because it is associated with diets that are rich in meats, seafood, and alcoholic beverages. DISH is caused by a buildup of calcium salts, and it is more common in people that suffer from gout. The relationship between dish and gout is likely due to shared risk factors, like people who suffer from obesity and other features of metabolic syndrome. Evidence of gout and dish can be observed through skeletal manifestations, characteristic deformations in the bones that make them noticeably distinguishable. Gout tends to occur around the synovial joints, especially around the feet near the big toe. Defined punctures in the bone structure are indicative of gout. Though asymptomatic, DISH manifests around the spine, with a bony growth that resembles the appearance of candle wax. The prevalence of gout in ancient European populations is mainly attributed to diet and lifestyle factors. On the other hand, ancient populations in the Pacific regions show a genetic predisposition. So what occurs in between these two geographic regions in Asia? By studying the skeletal remains of ancient Asian populations, Nalissa is seeking to find out whether lifestyle or genetic factors underlie the manifestations of dish and gout in this geographic region. This is Nalissa. So Nalissa, where are you from? I was born on the island of Borneo, which is um, part of insular Southeast Asia. So that's sort of smack in between um, mainland continental Asia on the west and um, sort of the Pacific region on the eastern side. Um, so I was there for the first part of my childhood and then I left to um, with my family, we migrated to New Zealand for a little bit. And following that, um, we migrated to Vancouver, Canada from adolescent forwards. Yeah. And if you could 
package anything from your childhood and bring it with you, what would it be? Something really memorable from where you're from. Hmm. I think one thing that's memorable for me would be um, nature. So I think the one thing that the cities that I lived in all had in common was um, the fact that they were all coastal cities. So that's something that um, has been part of my childhood, but also um, adolescent and into adulthood is the fact that I could just head off to the beach in a few minutes. And um, I think in, well, in Canada, in Vancouver, there's also that mountainous landscape in the backdrop. So I could also go for for hikes through the, the forest. So that's something that's, yeah, that's very special to me from all the cities that I've lived in and all the homes that I've had is, is the, the nature surrounding these cities. So do you think this has persuaded you to choose Dunedin as your PhD spot? Um, there are a lot of factors. Um, I hadn't been to Dunedin before. So when I started my PhD, um, that was my first time in Dunedin. Um, but I, I don't regret it. I love Dunedin. It's a coastal city. There's just so much about it that's very similar to uh, Vancouver. So yeah, yeah, it's a great place. <laughs> so you were telling me about how um, nature has always played a key role in your childhood and mm-hmm. wanting to immerse yourself in natural environments. Mm-hmm. Um, what other interests would describe you? I was a very active child. Um, it was I believe quite hard for me to sit in one spot and um, work for a very long time. So I'd always get up a lot and run around. Um, So I guess I was kind of a bit like a tomboy. (laughs) And what about in school? What were the subjects that you were most interested in? I was an artsy child, I think. I loved to draw, paint, um, but I also did... um, sports, having a lot of energy. My parents ensured that I played a lot of um, sports. (laughs) And what type of sports did you excel in or did you really enjoy? I didn't excel in any of them, (laughs) but but predominantly uh, netball. So what did you study at university then? Um, So when I started in college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I decided, okay, I'll go into political science um, in the beginning um, because that was something I thought was interesting, um, especially learning about political ideologies and um, how societies were organized based or formed based from these um, ideologies. Um, and that was something of interest to me. So I thought, hey, why not go into that? And yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, so that's what, where I started off. It was during, I think, the second year of college where I decided, okay, it's time to kind of branch out, and I had some electives, um, so I decided I'll try anthropology, which I've never heard of before. We didn't have anthropology classes in high school, so this was something new to me. And um, so, yeah, I, I decided I'd, I'd take um, forensic anthropology, an introduction course, and since then, I, I never looked back. And anything that really stood out in your mind from your experience in your anthropology course? Any experiment that you thought was super interesting? Um, well, it was many years ago. <laughs> so my memory's a bit hazy. <laughs> but um, 
I remember coming to a realization that, oh my gosh, the human skeleton, the human body is such an amazing thing. We're so complicated, um, not only on a you know, psychological level, but on a biological level too. Um, there's so much going on and there's so much to learn. Um, so yeah, that was what struck me during that intro course and, and I just sort of fell in love with it. Following that, I took some social anthropology, social cultural anthropology courses and um, I also absolutely loved um, taking those. I learned a lot and I learned that this is a way for me to um, learn about other cultures, other societies um, through the human skeleton, both in ancient times and also in modern times. Yeah. So you found anthropology and you never looked back. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and after your undergraduate, did you then specialize at a master's level? Mm -hmm. Yes. So. I actually did a bit of um, commercial archaeology um, in between my undergrad and my master's, so that allowed me to travel throughout British Columbia. Um, so I conducted archaeological surveys, um, particularly in northern British Columbia, so that was really fun and I learned sort of this just different aspect of archaeology. Um, following that, I decided to go back to school, go back to um, university, and that's when I took my a master's in human osteology and funerary archaeology at the University of Sheffield in the UK. We learn about uh, the human skeleton within the context of an archaeological site. And did you do any field work? I participated in a field school actually for a few days. Mm -hmm. um, the field school was at uh, this place called Thornton Abbey, mm -hmm. um, which is a, I believe, a medieval site. Um, and the burial site that um, I participated in, the people that came from that burial site were associated with the Black Death. I like the Black Plague? Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Black Plague. Um, oh. But yeah, so I had the opportunity to be able to help out with that excavation um, with other students. Yeah. Mm. And. Um, a couple archaeologists from the University of Sheffield. And so what brought you here to New Zealand? There are many reasons. Um, so uh, I've always been interested in Southeast Asia and this PhD allowed me to um, go to Southeast Asia and do research there. So it combined both my interest in human osteology and my interest in Southeast Asia because that is where I was born. Yeah. And so tell us, what, what is your research about? The goal of my research is to better understand this condition called metabolic syndrome. And I do that by looking at two joint diseases associated with the condition. And they are, well, the first one is a very long name. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis, mm -hmm. also known as DISH and an erosive isopathy that we all know about, um, gout. Mm. And what are the symptoms of gout and DISH? Um, the symptoms of gout and DISH. So I can actually show you. Um, mm -hmm. So I have an individual lying on this table right now. <laughs> um, individual BN0367. And uh, I brought this individual out from its repository mm -hmm. because uh, he shows um, pretty notable 
uh, skeletal evidence for the two joint diseases that I look at. So I look at these joint diseases in ancient populations um, within mainland Asia. So mm-hmm. that's my um, that's my regional focus. Yeah. Mm. And in which parts of Asia have you been able to study this particular aspect? Oh, um, I've assessed skeletal collections from five archaeological sites. So I've had the opportunity to travel to Thailand. Uh, two sites from there called Nam Ban Jak and Kok Phan Nam Di. In Vietnam, um, mm-hmm. I went to Hanoi to look at skeletal assemblages from two sites. They are Mam Bak and Kong Ko Noa, mm-hmm. and a site in China called Yin Zhu. And have you found any similarities or discrepancies between the um, individuals that you studied in each of these sites? I have found skeletal evidence suggestive of dish and gout. Um, however, I'm still in the progress of working through that, um, looking at the data, conducting differential diagnosis, and so on. So that's something that I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to walk us through your individual and tell us a little bit about the different things that you can observe that gives you this type of information? Yeah. When I first started my PhD, I looked at this individual for skeletal evidence of dish and gout, and um, I've I've learned a lot about the skeletal manifestations of these diseases because of this individual here. So um, I've I've gotten to know this uh, the skeleton um, quite well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So tell us a bit about what we're seeing. If you were to look at the uh, signs and symptoms of gout, which part of the skeleton would you be observing? So gouty lesions uh, occur around the synovial joints. So I look at all the synovial joints in the postcranial skeleton. So I don't, I don't look at the skull. With gout, um, the erosive lesions often form in the feet. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly the big toe area. This is not always the case, but oftentimes it's so. So this is an example of a lesion here. This is a part of a left big toe. And you see this... Just here? Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow. So you see this um, nice opening, and it's very well defined. It's very um, what many would describe as punched out appearance Mm -hmm. and inside there is um, remodeling happening as well so you see sort of a floor in there and that's the internal structure of the bone um this is sorry um the floor inside here Mm -hmm. is um something that we see typically with erosive lesions associated with gout it's not a normal internal structure of the bone. Okay. So uh, what we typically would see in a normal bone, its internal structure is the so the trabeculae, like this. Wow, almost like a internal webbing, like three-dimensional webbing. That's a good description. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Super very much different from what is yeah. here, which is more well-defined inside. Mm-hmm. Sort of more of a, a floor. Yeah. And actually what you said about the the puncture mm-hmm. is very accurate because the first time you showed me this, the first thing that came to my mind is almost like a perforation. Mm-hmm. Like someone 
had almost like drilled a small hole inside mm-hmm. the bone and lined the inside of the bone with sclerotic margin i guess it's, it's actually cold so um like a floor and another thing i look for is erosive lesions that are around the periarticular area so around the joint facet and this lesion here is um, located in the right spot so yeah. this is where you would normally look for yes. um, symptoms of gout yes yes ah. yeah at the synovial joint I also look at the other synovial joints as well, and sometimes gouty lesions can occur in the upper limbs, the mm-hmm. elbow, the uh, the knees, or in the hands as well. But mm-hmm. typically, um, they would occur in the um, lower half of the body. So you talked about um, the symptoms for gout. What about DISH, which is the other illness that you're looking at? So uh, DISH is asymptomatic. Um, it is essentially the uh, bony growth along the vertebral column, so along our spine, the anterolateral area, so that's the front and side part of the vertebral body. So can you see uh, the flowing bony growth along the spine? Oh, along yeah. Along the vertebral column here. So some oh. people describe this as like a candle wax like appearance because you see it looks flowy and then there's that bulbous Mm -hmm. um, segments at the intervertebral um, region. Yeah. Yeah. So this is um, skeletal evidence here of DISH. Am I mistaken to recall or slightly recall when I would um, read about, you know, the Tudors and Henry VIII, was mm. gout associated with like the rich man's disease? Copious amounts of wine and red meat. Yeah. Is this the disease that it's associated to? That's a, that's a really good question. So in osteological studies of ancient populations, particularly in Europe, gout is typically associated with um, lifestyle. So mm. having an unhealthy um, diet, rich, high-caloric diet, and also uh, sedentary lifestyle, so not not moving around a lot, essentially, which is a lifestyle that many of us have today, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, however, in other population groups, such as some populations in the Pacific region, show a genetic predisposition to uh, diseases such as gout. Mm. Um, so, and that, that is actually one of the reasons uh, for my PhD research is to see what's going on in the Asian man- mainland, mm-hmm. I'm considering is between Europe and the Pacific region from a very you know, broad wow. <laughs> perspective. But yeah, to see mm-hmm. what's going on there. Is the development of gout to do with uh, lifestyle factors? Or maybe there's another reason. Uh, maybe it's childhood nutritional stress mm. um, or maybe there's sort of a genetic predisposition in the area as well as similar to what um, what we see in the Pacific region in some population groups. Wow super yeah. interesting. So in the population groups from the Pacific region um, they ultimately came from Taiwan through the Austronesian expansion and before that from southern China. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of going back and looking into these population groups in mainland Asia, um, ranging from 6,000 to 1,500 years ago to see 
what's going on there and what factors may underlie the uh, manifestation of Dishengelt wow. among these people. The five archaeological popu- archaeological populations come from different times. Mm-hmm. Um, Khong Khon Noa from Vietnam is the oldest site that I'm looking at. Uh, the people there are of Australo-Papuan uh, ancestry, mm-hmm. whereas the the populations from the other four archaeological sites came from population groups that migrated from the north, from China. Mm. The population groups, they come from different ancestry um, and also different uh, time periods. So some are um, from the Neolithic, from the Bronze Age, from the Iron Age, some are hunter-gatherers, some are agriculturalists. So they are of different settlement types. By looking at these different settlement types, it will allow me to better understand how dish and gout um, might have manifested back then mm. among these populations. And what about the future directions of this research? Would you continue to do this as a postdoc? Or are you thinking of different lines of investigation? Um, yeah, I would absolutely love to explore uh, gout in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to be able to delve more into the skeletal manifestations of gout. I think there's so much work left to do there. I'd especially love to conduct a systematic study of erosive lesions associated with gout in uh, modern assemblages. And I think that will help us build on the current methods that we have so far in diagnosing this condition. If you could describe your overall experience as a researcher so far, not only in your PhD, but in the years leading up to the PhD, how would you describe it? Challenging, but worth it in Mm -hmm. the end. Yeah, there there are good times and there are hard times. Mm -hmm. Uh, The traveling component of research, which as an archaeologist, I consider myself an archaeologist, Mm -hmm. um, can be both challenging, very difficult, uh, but it's also a great learning experience. You get to meet people from different cultures, and there's a sense of self-discovery as you discover things about your PhD research. So even with, I think, the stress that comes with research, if you love what you do, that's the most important thing. Then you wake up in the morning ready to go. (laughs) And... Do any anecdotes come to mind, any interesting or curious experiences that you've had? One interesting story would be when I went to one country. I stayed in a research station there for a couple months. So the first couple days I I was there, I was settling down, and they put me in this really small, comfortable room. Um, Mm -hmm. And I started pulling together the individuals, the skeletons that I wanted to assess. One day I got a knock on my door and they had these boxes of skeletons that I had um, requested. And I realized that these skeletons were coming into my room. (laughs) So so for two months I slept in the same room I worked in and it was also where I stored these boxes of skeletons. Um, It was an interesting experience. Um, I think the first the first week, I'm not gonna lie, it was it was it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think during the day when I was working on the skeletons, it was easy to think I, I'm a researcher, mm -hmm. I'm an objective individual. There's no such thing as the supernatural. Or, mm. But then when 10 p.m. comes along and it's dark mm. and it's quiet outside, mm. you, you think about other things. <laughs> I promised I wasn't going to confess to this. <laughs> But yeah, the, the, uh, after after a week, mm. maybe maybe more, mm. um, I got into the flow of things, and um, yeah. But the first week, there were there were times where I had to throw the blanket over my head and mm. just pretend like I was the only person in that room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. At least alive that we know of. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, any advice for future scientists? love what you do mm -hmm. i think that's most important mm -hmm. and if you do then it will be worth it in the end yeah yeah research is wanting to discover something and if you find joy in that then go for gold mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the most valuable thing in the end yeah i think so yeah how would you say that science has impacted you it allowed me to explore humanity which is what I'm very much interested in, um, our human history, who we were, mm -hmm. um, what we are now. Uh, it's given me that platform to be able to, to um, satiate my curiosity mm -hmm. about, um, about us. Curiosity is such an important thing. Absolutely, yeah. So, Nalissa, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Anyone who's interested to understand about the human body should definitely make their way to the Anatomy Museum at the Lindo Ferguson Building because it is spectacular. You've been listening to Around the World in 80 Discoveries. You can tune in Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. on ORFM or stream online at or.org.nz.